Hello, John Beasley here with the seventh Harmony UK podcast, Rewind. There's been a lot of change in the air since our last podcast a month ago. Many more shops reopening, sunseekers flocking to the beaches in the past few days and celebrations at Anfield for Liverpool fans as their team won the Premiership for the first time. With Boris Johnson proclaiming that the country is coming out of hibernation, it really does seem that the lockdown is loosening its iron grip. We're even told that the pubs will be open soon. But there is still one thing that is forbidden, at least indoors. I've been a barbershop singer for many a year And lately I've saved lots of money on beer For the pubs have been locked down and it has been hell Cause they cancelled our chorus rehearsals as well And it's no more lockdown Pubs are reopening So I'll drink to the day when Once more we There it is, the now inevitable, slightly rubbish parody. And with Oliver Dowden just announcing a five-point plan to get the performing arts up and running in the UK, who knows, we might be singing, just might, in the not-too-distant future. Let's keep our fingers crossed. Well, there's also been a changing of the guard at one of the UK's top choruses. Last month, Zach Bulls stepped down as musical director at Grand Central after eight years in charge. Under Zach's leadership, the chorus remained constantly in the Babs' top five, and their inventive contest sets were always a highlight at convention, including one story based on The Wizard of Oz, which spanned two years. Well, back in 2017, I spoke to Zach about those previous two performances. Wizard of Oz is such a well-known film. It was just a thought, you know, that there's such good songs. I mean, Over the Rainbow has been used for years in contests as a ballad. I think Grand Central were one of the first ones to actually use it in contest back in 2001, maybe even earlier. But it's such a well-known thing. And the so- because the songs are from that fantastic era of, of American cinema, they really suit Barbershop. Not proper Barbershop. They, they suit the old school, that, the old feel of Barbershop, that old style when you sing it like we're singing a polecat, when you're singing those traditional, the traditional songs, really, the old songs. So to do that, but to hang on, think, hang on a minute, but we don't have a Dorothy. We can't bring on a yellow brick road. We can't build an Emerald City. Making people look like munchkins is a little bit too strange. Um, so to, to pull off that, you know, me as Dorothy, we were, you know, wearing black trousers, but red shoes, a shirt in the style of the one she would have worn, and red braces, and that's it. You know, I've got a beard as well, so it's very clear I wasn't Dorothy. But just setting that scene, you know, using Over the Rainbow, because essentially, because as I said, Over the Rainbow had been used for many years by barbershop choruses as a ballad. But to then get to the punchline of Somewhere Over the Rainbow, then you don't. You go, follow the yellow brick road. It took a lot by surprise. It certainly took the judges by surprise, which was the intention. So to take that story and make it translate to a barbershop stage, and then with the fantastic arrangement by Clay Hine of um, Holy Out of Brain as a ballad, it was the perfect opportunity to show a different side of the story. You know, Scarecrow being 
forgetful, but that frustration of he wants to remember, he you know he wants to be good enough, kind of thing. So we were able to tell that story, which was brilliant, and then it gave us a unique position to make the, the following contest package about him. We left him on stage in that scarecrow silhouette pose as we walked off stage with it that year when we got bronze and then that's how we started this year. You know, we, we had him in the same place he was, like he'd never left, but we were there not in you know, I was no longer Dorothy, Lion was gone, we were just a chorus, but he was still stuck in that. So we, we were able to repeat only had a brain, but bring it much more meaning now. The frustration was greater, the angst was greater. What if he did have a brain? He would know that Oz was nothing but a fantasy. But hope, true hope, lives in the world of reality. And sometimes, like Dorothy, we have to go over our own rainbow, simply to belong. stage it's a very surreal lyrics obviously it's a very strange thing to do as a contest song um, 
but to go actually no we can we can find our own meaning for this song and make it work for his transition so throughout the whole song he starts to, at the start he starts to shred his straw and then the, the point when you get to the, the the riff everyone knows from the from from Elton John's song of da 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 ah, way up in the tenor range he's the trout, the jeans, the, the the ripped jeans come off, and he's wearing our chorus gear. The, sh- the shirt comes off, and he's wearing our shirt. He's just missing. He's still got the hat on. He's missing our jacket. So it was. It's that journey of hope, really. You know, it's so much like I said before about the story. Now, we've got a story. Everyone can relate to this. You know, yeah, I can make it. I'm, I'm bogged down by um, that the dogs that the um, dogs of society howl. You know, as it says in the song, I'm bogged. I'm not going to let these people, you know, um, tell me what to do anymore. Goodbye, Yellow Bit Road. I'm leaving it behind. I'm going to a better place. So for us, it was just per- it was the perfect message for the Scarecrow in this modern age to, to do this. And you know, I gave him as, as director as well to give him my jacket. So that and then he he cut off the whole song by throwing his hat into the audience. You know, so that snapshot ending was him becoming being accepted. He he he'd found he'd got he'd got out of Oz and he was back where he belonged with the core core. Yeah, it's quite a deep song for some for a song that. When you just look at the words, you wonder what on earth he was thinking. <laughs> Potentially, you know, very strange lyrics. You know. It's an incredibly ambitious thing to do as well to have a to have a story which which is to be continued from one convention to the next. Did, did you plan it that way? Uh, no, 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 we didn't. We we did the Wizard of Oz thing back in two thousand and ooh, fifteen must have been, and it went far better than we ever hoped. The audience really took to it. We were surprised at just how much people loved it because it was different. You know, it, it, it did stand out, it still does, but. Uh, we, we were there literally over, over a few beers it was about literally must have been four or five hours after the results and I'm stood there with two of the members in my chorus Mark Burnip and Richard Curtis who between the three of us we're the arranging team you've got a guy that could doesn't mind pushing the boundaries a little bit you've got a guy who's proper old school and just wants barbershop and you've got me in the middle so I kind of collate their ideas and mould it to something and then I send it out and then he tweaks it he tweaks it and then I take the bits I like from both of them with some of my ideas and, and we get an arrangement but Richard just stood there and in that in one of those silent moments of discussing next year he just went what if we finish the story and there was just this pause by the other two of us of just oh <laughs> it, it really was like oh what an idea and it was like I mean the intention wasn't to do Brain again actually but there was another song we'd got lined up but we found that it didn't suit the barbershop style on contest, it didn't. Tra- it wasn't going to translate very well, so it worked out well actually to reinforce brain to set the scene of the scarecrow still being stuck in this place, and then to transition. And good, I mean that night, "Goodbye Little Bit Road" was mentioned purely for the lyric. For that lyric, we didn't know the rest of the words well enough, so you know it was straight away research. Let's see what this can bring. Then it was oh, actually we could use "Over the Rainbow" as an intro because the the audience when we won bronze. They weren't given that opportunity by us, you know. We we never actually sang somewhere over the rainbow, and people were expecting it. So it was quite nice to let the audience feel a sense of relief that we finally did it, almost <laughs> as, as well. Over the rainbow, blue 
ABS 2017 in Bournemouth, the convention coming up at the end of May. Are we going to see part three of Yellow Brick Road and Wizard of Oz, or are you doing something different this year? It is something different. It's a brand new story, a bit of My Fair Lady, basically. Just a brand new setting, brand new feel, different message. Um, just a different story altogether, all, all really, with, within both songs. So um, it's going to be fun sharing that with the audience and seeing if you know our unique way of, of expressing songs and in performing songs and staging songs to see if the audience are willing to accept a new story. Hope perhaps. Zach Bulls telling new stories. And let's hope that this is the start of an exciting new chapter for Zach as he takes over MD duties at the Region 31 Chorus Ignite UK. And also for Grand Central, whose direction is now in the capable hands of Mark Swab and Richard Curtis. You're listening to Harmony UK Podcast Rewind, featuring bits of old podcasts, uh, some of them quite good, uh, all glued together and recycled for lockdown. Well, one of the perennial preoccupations of barbershoppers is how to popularise the style. So back in 2015, we were all delighted when Gareth Malone's BBC Two series, The Naked Choir, featured not one but two barbershop groups. The idea was that viewers would see the choirs warts and all as they arranged and rehearsed a different song each week, ready to compete in front of a panel of judges. Even more pride for the barbershop community when we discovered that one of the distinguished judges was our own Sally McLean, the MD of the White Rosette. Well, in the very first Harmony UK podcast, I travelled to Portsmouth to meet Spinnaker Ladies Chorus, 16 of whom had taken part as contestants. I spoke to three of those who'd been on screen, Tracy Daniel, then Chorus PRO, Emma Payne, one of the basses, and Jenny Savory, who back in 2015 was the musical director. The advert for the programme had been put out amongst Labs and Babs and Sweet Adelines across the country. And uh, I think anything that comes along with um, just a new, a new adventure, a new possibility, a new angle, it always excites me anyway, because uh, I never want the course to get stale or samey. So uh, a couple of the girls said, why don't we have a go at applying? And yeah, the apply we did. It was a, a really long, drawn-out application process. Weren't really quite sure what we were signing up to, if I'm totally honest. But just the fact that it was attached to the BBC and Gareth Malone was enough for us to know it was going to be a good, credible um, TV programme. And we were interested to see what, what we'd signed up for. Um, didn't quite expect um, what we got, but as I say, everything was a complete surprise. Well, what did you get? Tell us about what you had to go through, first of all, to get through the initial selection process. We had to go up to London and sing a song that they'd given us. About a week before, they sent out a list of about eight songs and said, pick one, come up and sing it to us, you've got one week, off you go. So, of course, that was a big challenge. We had to quickly decide which one we were going to do, how were we going to do it, you know, and we were around each other's houses day in, day out. And we went up to London, sang the song in front of the cameras, and then we were interviewed about an hour, hour and a half interview with the TV producer, Lee McMurray. And about a month after that, that's when we got the call saying we'd got through. I think Spinnaker Chorus are warm, and they seem to be really close, and they've got a sense of fun. That's what I like. And if we... If they can get that across on stage, then I think that will be the, that will be how they will win through. You work your socks off for something, you commit to it, and it's a huge compromise on your family life and your work life. You're literally, um, you just have to throw yourselves in. The last thing you want to do is go on TV um, and produce some unprepared, under-rehearsed. So obviously we were chucking in as much rehearsal time as we could. So it was a huge amount of energy and commitment you had to put in. So we did a 
an okay job. I, I was thoroughly proud of what we did on the day, considering the time limits, you know, and everything else. We're we're all we're we're all women who have got families and jobs and children and all sorts of other commitments, as you can imagine. Um, but we did do a good job on the day. We hoped upon hope that we might have got through to the next round. We would have so loved to have gone to the boot camp, but unfortunately, it wasn't to be. And, and we took that on the chin. But you 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 can't help. Um, but have that little thing inside you that says, oh, please let me get through. Yeah, has it been worth it? And um, it, so, yeah, it was gutting to not get through. I can't lie. I think a lot of barbershoppers will have empathised because they, they took you right out of your comfort zone, didn't yeah. they? You did things that we don't normally do on the rise. Absolutely. I mean, they wanted us to do even more than what we did um, in terms of beatboxing and things like that. Well, I can tell you, we've never done anything <laughs> like that. And, you know, so we, we were just so embarrassed to think we, we were going to be stood on live TV doing all this, like... <laughs> And we, I mean, like, I, you can't, we, we cannot do it. But we were willing and we had a go. It just didn't turn out to be enough for what they were looking for. I call you when I need you, my heart's on fire. Come to me, come to me, wild and wired. Ooh, you come to me. wondering about that because when Gareth talks about barbershop he often uses the word traditional and some people might think that traditional could be replaced with words like a bit unadventurous or just a tiny bit boring compared to other the uh, the other forms of acapella do you, do you think that barbershoppers can really succeed on a show like this well I would like to think so yes because uh, we are what we can produce um, on stage and with our voices is absolutely fantastic. I mean, engaging by the competitions that we go to, um, it's absolutely phenomenal. The sound from a barbershop chorus is, is wonderful. Uh, but I do think that people do have this impression of barbershop as being, like you say, re- rather old-fashioned and... Um, Almost a bit boring. A bit, yes, a bit and strange. we're far from boring. I think... I think um, uh, barbershop in general is is changing so much and we're trying to introduce modern songs um i think to be that a bit more it did, i was amazed at the debate it sparked after the first episode went out and obviously on the social media there was um a whole um thread of, of people putting in their um opinions and actually it did raise some very valid points which i hadn't thought of at all well, such as and things like saying, is Barbershop stuck in a rut? Are we going to progress? Can we progress? Is there any way that you can take Barbershop forward into the new, the new century? Or do you have to stay the same and do you have to stay traditional to be, for it to be classed as Barbershop? So I don't really know what... People will have to make their own minds up about that. But what I am, I suppose, now from the programme willing to do is take a few more risks. And, and actually, I feel a little bit more... Um, I've got permission to have a go at something and we will and and it might be slower than the rest of the musical world in terms of things like you know beatboxing and all that we might be a a little bit behind I'm sure but I'm certainly willing to give something new a try now yeah based on your own experience what would you say to other choruses if they make another series should 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 other barbershop choruses go for this yes absolutely I think that um the I think there's more that we can show that we can do in terms of versatility. We we were the first ones. We were the guinea pigs, Spinnaker, and you know we put ourselves out there and had a go and took the risks. Um, we know that there are other talented barbershop choruses, um, octets, quartets in the UK, 
that could actually, um, now that they can see what they were looking for and they can see what's what's potentially um, going to to go to, to take barbershop out to the people to show yes we can do more. I think there's plenty of youngsters actually within the barbershop world that would be really willing to go there and go all the way with, with Gareth and the other experts and give them what they wanted. Um, there's some really good you know singers in the UK now that I think could do it justice. Yeah. Can I just ask the three of you just to finish? What, what do you think the chorus has, has gained from taking part in the show? Oh, bags of knowledge going forward of the experience of what we've been through and what we can bring to Barbershop as a whole. I think, I think that's going to that's gonna really benefit every single one of us on the risers because, I mean, there was only 16 of us actually singing in the competition. But we've brought all that wealth and all that knowledge back to, to the whole chorus. And, we've, I mean, with Jenny at the helm, we're going to go places. We're doing so we gradually, so. but yeah. we are. I, can, I, can, yeah. I, can, I know, I feel like my water, Jenny. We will, <laughs> we will. Bring it into the 20, 22nd century. Is that right? 20, what are we? 21st century? 21st. 21st. I can't even remember. <laughs> Buck Rogers. <laughs> Members of Spinnaker Chorus singing Tina Turner's Simply the Best in that BBC Two series, The Naked Choir. Well, a lot has happened since then. For example, Spinnaker Chorus are now directed by John Palmer and they've moved from Region 31 to Labs. Both Babs in Britain and BHS in the United States have embraced mixed-voice barbershop and welcomed women into the ranks of singers alongside men. In recent times, there's also been a lot more attention paid to how barbershop as a movement can become more welcoming and diverse, as well as what's now widely regarded as a shameful history of racial discrimination practised in the United States by both Spebskuza, which we now know as the Barbershop Harmony Society, and by Sweet Adelines. In their early years, both of these organisations actively excluded African-American singers from their ranks, and in the process, they tried to downplay, some would say deny, barbershops' African-American roots. In more recent times, there has been a recognition of the wrong that was done, and two years ago, at Babs 40th Harmony College, this was one of a number of topics I had the chance to discuss with the barbershop historian and prolific arranger David Wright. We began by talking about how David got started as an arranger. I was always interested in uh, chords and in arranging, and even before I got into barbershop, I was writing arrangements for my family quartet that sang gospel music. And uh, so when I got into barbershop, which was four-part harmony a cappella, that's exactly what I'd been singing. It was pretty natural for me to like the harmony, but also want to write arrangements. And then soon after I joined barbershopping, I had a quartet. And like most quartets, we wanted material that wasn't sung by everybody else, and I started writing arrangements for that quartet. There were three different quartets I had, and I wrote, uh, not at some, the same time, but <laughs> during the 70s and 80s, I was in three quartets, and I wrote arrangements for those. And then, I guess, pretty soon people started noticing things that I'd written and wanting them, and maybe wanting me to write arrangements for them. So it just sort of started with my own groups and then blossomed out from there. Do you remember the first song that you decided to arrange? Oh. 
No, I, I really don't. It was probably back when I was writing for a gospel quartet. But after I got into barbershop, I don't know, I was directing a chorus of old guys for a while, and I tried to write arrangements for them. Uh, one of the first arrangements of a serious song that I attempted was an arrangement of Send in the Clowns. And uh, to tell you the truth, it, it turned out awful. My wife uh, decided they were going to honor me as an arranger at some party a few years ago, and she started digging around through my files, and that's the first one in the files that she could find. And it was, of course, handwritten because we didn't have musical notation software back then, so she decided to type it into a finale and and hear what it sounds like because she wanted to play it at this uh, recognition, and she said it was so bad that she she just canned the idea of using it at all. (laughs) So, you know... I'm sure when I first started, I wasn't very good at it. But there are now many, many great uh, arrangements by yourself of of, of a huge variety of songs. What what is it that draws you to a song? What is it that, that gives you that itch that says, yeah, I would love to do something with that? Yeah, I don't know. That's a hard question to answer. You know, anybody has songs that they like, and, you know, is there some particular hook in the song that you might like? You might like its rhythm, you might like its melody, uh, you might like its lyrics, Something in there is really engaging, and, and so once I decide what I like in the song, then I try to amplify on that in the arrangement. And then, of course, I get asked to arrange all kinds of things that I don't particularly have an idea for. Quite frequently, I'm writing an arrangement for somebody, and they've requested a song. And it may be a song that I don't particularly like, but uh, somehow I've got to get into that piece of music or, or ask myself, why would a person like this? And, you know, and then write it, the arrangement from the perspective of somebody that really liked that song. So you have to be willing to take on you know, uh, the perspective of another person sometimes when you arrange. So sometimes I arrange a song and I wouldn't have chosen to arrange that song at all. So does that mean that when you're looking at uh, a quartet like Vocal Spectrum, who of course are at Harmony College uh, here in Nottingham this weekend, you're looking more at what the performer can bring to the song than, than, than whether or not you like the song itself? Yes, definitely. We look for opportunities that will highlight the persona of that performer. And uh, of course, in the case of Vocal Spectrum, you have lots of options because they have a lot of range in the quartet. So that gives you opportunities to do many things you couldn't do for a lesser quartet. Elijah Rock, shout, shout. Elijah Rock, coming up the hood. Elijah Rock, shout, shout. Elijah Rock, coming up the hood. Elijah Rock, shout, shout. Elijah Rock, coming up the hood. Elijah Rock, shout, shout. Elijah Rock, coming up the hood. Elijah Rock, shout, shout. Elijah Rock, coming up Come on, sister, help me to pray. Tell me, my Lord, don't pass this way. Tell me, my Lord, don't pass this way. Tell me, my Lord, don't pass this way. Elijah Rock coming up, coming up, Lord. Elijah Rock, shout, shout. Elijah Rock, Elijah Rock coming up, Lord. Have you ever turned down then a, a, a commission? If somebody's come to you and said, "Could you arrange this song for us?" Is, 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 are, there, are there reasons that you might sometimes say no? It rarely happens, but you know, once I've agreed to write an arrangement for somebody, I'll usually arrange what they want. 
I suppose there have been a few cases. They might have wanted a song for competition. And I just have to say, that song doesn't work for competition. If I arranged it as a contest song, it's going to ruin the song. And I just really wouldn't enjoy doing that. So I can remember that happening a time or two. But if I just didn't like the song, uh, I usually bite the bullet and do it for them anyway. Many of our, uh, our barbershop quartets and choruses, of course, have sung your songs. And I'm just wondering whether you are aware of perhaps changing the boundaries through what you do of what the judges might accept over time. Do you, do you ever think, well, this might not be contestable, but maybe if I put this little bit in, they will come around to it? Yes, I think a lot of arrangers do that. You know, I'm thinking... This might be something that's on the boundary of what would be acceptable. But if it's done artistically enough and it's sung well by whoever I'm doing it for, then maybe people will accept it. And I've, I've found that's happened uh, quite a number of times. And as modern songs come out, and we have an awful lot of four-chord songs at the moment, you approach people sometimes. I've, I've, I've spoken to people here about songs by people like Adele, and they've said, well, you shouldn't really have those songs arranged for barbershop because they're not barbershop songs they're not going to work they're four chord songs do you think that we're coming to a point where maybe some of those songs might be more acceptable of course we are uh, and and bear in mind that adding harmonic variety to a song that doesn't necessarily call for it is an old barbershop habit you know we do that you know yes sir that's my baby when we sing that that song basically doesn't have much harmonic variety at all the time we get done dressing it up it it does yes sir that's my baby no sir i don't mean maybe yes sir that's my baby now yes ma'am we've decided no ma'am we won't hide it yes ma'am you're invited now right now by the way by the way So it's it's not true that barbershoppers just add harmonic variety to new songs. They add harmonic variety to old songs as well. So if a if a modern song may have a limited number of chords, but there are opportunities to create more chords, then it's probably going to work just fine. On the other hand, you don't want to add chords that just totally take you away from the character of that song and that can be the danger you may make us something that okay it's acceptable to be sung in barbershop and even in a contest but now it doesn't sound like the song anymore so people who like that song are going to say well that that's a terrible arrangement it doesn't sound like the song so you run into that risk anytime you change a composer's work if the song is well known you have to do it very artfully and you have to kind of convince the listener that this is okay you were talking about a very traditional song there, that Yes Sir, That's My Baby. You're here talking to a lot of people about barbershop history in which you have a strong interest. How much do we know, do you think, about barbershop as a, as a group of people, as a, as, as a fraternity, if you like? Do we appreciate the history of our, our, of our hobby? I try to help people appreciate it because I teach the course History of Barbershop. I've taught it at Harmony University in the United States for quite a number of years. Uh, I taught a course here this weekend at the at the Babs Harmony College on history of barbershop. I taught a uh, breakout session in on the African American roots of barbershop. So I try to keep this in the forefront, and and I think people uh, are more aware of the roots of barbershop now than they were 
you know, when I joined the society uh, in the 1970s, it seems like the roots of barbershop before the existence of a barbershop harmony society were practically forgotten, and nobody cared. And yet you were saying at that seminar that you ran on the African-American basis for barbershop that, that perhaps that is still underappreciated by many people. Probably is, but we're making it more and more known. And at our convention, BHS convention, uh, last year in Las Vegas, uh, there was a, a special presentation that recognized the Grand Central Red Caps that were a quartet was excluded from the society in 1941. Those four gentlemen were mentioned by name, and they were given posthumous uh, honorary memberships in the society. And so that was presented in front of everybody at that convention, so thousands of people, plus it was streamed, so it went out on YouTube. And, and so I believe that people are becoming more and more aware, and I believe our barbershop organizations are becoming more aware of their responsibility to make sure that that situation is rectified. While we can neither comprehend the personal impact each of the red caps may have felt nor correct it, we can at least place a marker on this chapter of our history. We can say this happened to these four men. It shouldn't have, and it won't happen again. And the red caps excluded in 1941, even though they'd actually won a very major competition in front of a lot of people. They had won the New York City Parks Contest, which had been uh, held in New York City since either the late 20s or early 1930s. And they won in front of 15,000 people. And they got a huge reception from the New Yorkers. How difficult is this for members of the Barbershop Harmony Society? Because very often, particularly when you look at historic wrongs that people maybe nowadays know very little about, it's actually quite painful to recognize those. It is, and yet we have to, don't we? I mean, ignoring ugly chapters of the past is dangerous. It's better to confront them. I mean, just uh, put it on a grander scale, look at what happened in Europe uh, before, uh, leading up to World War II. Uh, we could say, well, that's so ugly, I don't want to think about it. But it's a real mistake if we don't think about it. We've got to think about it, or, or history repeats itself. The same with the exclusion of, of African Americans in the barbershop. You know, it happened. We need to acknowledge that it happened, and we need to try to rectify that situation and certainly make sure nothing like that ever happens again. Of course, the society is also now accepting women as members. There will no doubt be women in the fullness of time singing on, on the risers, uh, possibly taking part in, in competitions. How radically do you think Barbershop is going to change over the next few years? Well, that is a significant change. I think Barbershop has undergone a natural evolution since its inception, and that goes back in the 1800s somewhere in the murky past. We don't know exactly when or where. But uh, if you look at its century and a half, over a century and a half of, of development, it's come a long ways. And it's come a long ways, say, in the last 25 or 30 years, but probably no more so than it evolved from, say, 1940 to 1970. So all of the evolution is natural and really a, a very natural step given the fact that we have male and female organizations all over the world and they relate to each other. They have joint offense with each other. We have uh, judges in women's societies judging in men's and vice versa. Why not 
go ahead and have an organization that embraces both males and females. And as a matter of fact, this has been done in Germany. The barbershop in Germany, Bing organization, has had female and male membership from the very beginning, which I believe was the early 1990s. And in the last... I don't know, five to seven years, they've had uh, mixed ensembles, and they've just put them in the same competitive framework as everybody else. So basically, it's genderless. You know, everybody can compete. They don't uh, distinguish between men's, women's, or mixed. They're, they're all in the same forum, the same contest. So I suspect that's probably where we're heading. So uh, we're going to see BHS competitions with no gender distinction, the men's chorus followed by a women's chorus followed by a mixed chorus, and nobody's going to care. I, I can't guarantee that's the way it's going to happen, but I wouldn't be surprised. Put it that way. You are a member of the the, the Hall of Fame at uh, BHS. I think I'm right in saying. Which of your songs do you think is going to endure? Which one do you think they're probably going to? Which one do you hope they're going to be singing in fifty, sixty, seventy years time? Oh, tough question. Ah, uh, that that is a really hard question. I don't know. I mean, some that come to mind are the certainly the ones that seems to be most popular with the masses are the 76 trombones rendition by the Ambassadors of Harmony, which is on YouTube and uh, has a huge number of, uh, of views um, for a barbershop performance. 76 trombones Ages ago, I did the Rhapsody in Blue thing for ambiance, my wife's fabulous quartet. That seems to have stood the time. People love it just as much now as they did then. You know, I, I wrote the arrangement of Hello, Mary Lou, very simple arrangement, but everybody stands around singing. I was there over drinking a beer in the pub, and there was bunch of guys standing around singing hello yeah how did that feel well, it feels fine you know they're enjoying the singing and you know it's simple enough that it can be enjoyed by the masses so it doesn't bother me at all that it's become like almost like a folk song in barbershop Okay, well, let's narrow this down a little bit. In this country, there is a radio show which has been going since World War II. It's called Desert Island Discs, in which a guest is invited to take their eight favorite recordings to musical recordings to a desert island. If you could take just one of your songs, uh, sung by one particular chorus or quartet, and we would place you on that desert island, what would it be? Hmm. Oh, that's that's tough. That's tough. Well, the recording, if I could only have one, it actually might be one of Vocal Spectrum's recordings. Uh, I don't know, this last one they did, they pretty much outdid themselves. Uh, they did a great rendition of Zoot Suit Riot, for example, which I arranged for them. So given that and the other great stuff that's uh, on, their, on their CD, some of which I arranged and some of which other uh, excellent arrangers did, that might, make, that might be the one I would take to the desert island. You got it. David Wright. Thanks very much indeed. Enjoy the rest of the weekend. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. One, two, a one, two, three. <laughs> 
Who's that whispering in the trees? It's two sailors and they're on leave. Pipes and chains and swinging hands. Who's your daddy? Yes, I am. Fat cat came to play. Now we can't run fast enough. You'd best stay away when the pushers come to shove. Toot, toot, Ryan, Ryan, throw back all the leaves. Toot, toot, Ryan, Ryan, for the home three cold black Zoot Suit Riot from Vocal Spectrum's fifth CD, available from their website. And David Wright recorded there in 2018 at Babs 40th Harmony College. Incidentally, the recording of Yes Sir, That's My Baby came from a quartet called Trade Secret. You can find their song on YouTube, where you can also find the ceremony at International Convention, at which all four singers from the Grand Central Redcaps were belatedly and posthumously awarded a symbolic lifetime membership of the Society. The video starts with the story as told by David Wright and Stanley Johnson of the Ambassadors of Harmony. You'll find a link on the Harmony UK podcast Facebook page. And that is almost it, except to flag up some very special events over the summer. Uh, first of all, Babs Live will be back on August the 30th. Hosts Chris and James from Tagline Quartet are looking for your contributions to an evening of entertainment themed around Harmony College and featuring Sally McLean, Vocal Spectrum, Steve Scott and Jordan Travis. You can find out more on Babs social media and a couple of items from the US to look out for. On July the 3rd, the Association of International Champions is staging a virtual concert called This Is The Moment. It features some stunning past champion quartets, Signature, Crossroads, Main Street, Forefront, OC Times and many more. It's a late one. It starts around 11.30 here in the UK. It is free to view, but you do have to register. You'll find details on the AIC Facebook page. And on August the 22nd and 29th, BHS will be raiding their archives for what's billed as a legacy quartet contest featuring the top 20 quartets never to win the gold. The most intriguing bit for me in their advanced publicity is that it says that you can be a judge. Uh, we're waiting for more details but you can find a link to that promotional video from BHS on the Harmony UK podcast Facebook page. I've also added a link there to Babs Live. Another podcast from me soon I hope. Uh, for now though thanks for listening. Stay safe and have a wonderful summer. From me John Beasley. Bye bye.